Hi guys, thank you so much for clicking on the first episode of Dark and Dire, uh, a true crime podcast where we discuss cases of all different variety. Uh, Some will be very, very popular names that I'm sure any true crime lovers are aware of and have heard of, but we will also be covering cases that are not as popular, uh, trying to be a voice for the voiceless, of course, with cases like this the most important thing is to get these people's names out there Uh, so that is really the goal for this podcast but because this is the first episode I do want to very briefly uh, introduce myself before we get into today's um, actual topic my name is Julia I am 25 years old and I currently live in the state of Florida I have been living here for about eight years now Uh, after my college graduation I decided to stay here, but I am originally from New Jersey, and I really think the reason I got into true crime was because as a child, I was that weird kid who really liked scary movies and thriller movies, which was probably kind of alarming to my parents. Uh, Everyone else my age is watching like Barney and Friends, and I'm watching Silence of the Lambs. But all jokes aside, I think true crime was the next transition after just being into uh, mystery and things like that. I remember being around probably third grade, so pretty young, and looking into the case of Madeline McCann. So long story short, this podcast is a long time coming. So for today's episode, I am going to be discussing a case that is so important to me um, as someone who, again, has listened to so many podcasts and watches Dateline in 2020 all the time. There are probably about three or four cases that have really stuck with me um, that, you know, I feel so passionately about. And the case we are going to be discussing today is the disappearance of Kristen Smart. As I'm recording this, I am looking at a sticker that I have that says Justice for Kristen Smart. It was actually given to me or sent to me by a wonderful person who is also part of the Kristen Smart Facebook group that I belong to. Um, So, of course, what I'm getting at is that this case is super important to me. Um, There are so many different podcasts that cover it, but I really would recommend listening um, to the podcast in your own backyard. Um, That is a pretty deep dive on this case, but the man, Chris, who uh, does the podcast, is absolutely amazing and is really bringing a new you know light to this case it has been about 25 years since her disappearance and nothing was really happening for a long time uh there unfortunately was a lot of bad police work with this case which we of course will be discussing um but that podcast has really brought so much attention and has made major moves um in this case that I really don't think any other true crime podcast has done before so again just a big shout out to in your own backyard um but without further ado let's get into it all right guys So to begin, Kristen Smart was born on February 20th of 1977 in Osberg, Germany, um, to parents Stan and Denise Smart. So they didn't really live in Germany for too long. It was said that at the time her parents were teachers there um, when she was born, but after they ended up moving to Stockton, California. So Kristen had two siblings, an older brother named Matt and a sister named Lindsay, 
And the main thing that I've really gathered about her is that she loved life. She was a very adventurous person. Prior to even starting college, she was a lifeguard in Hawaii. She traveled all around the country and all around the world, honestly. Um, and she was a very tall person. I just feel like um, things like that are important with true crime cases. She was 6'1", almost 6'2", just a beautiful, bubbly, blonde, um, just girl who really loved life, which I think is why this case really, you know, messes me up in a way, because she seemed like such a good person who was really just starting her life at 19 years old, when unfortunately, um, things did not go her way. Of course, we are discussing her on a true crime podcast, so that is never a good sign. But getting into her disappearance. So at this point, um, it is 1996, um, specifically May 25th, and it is the end of the semester or nearing the end of the semester. It's currently spring break, so a lot of her friends are out of town, but it is a Friday night and she wants to go out. So she was trying to get her roommate to come to this party and it just seemed like her roommate really was not about it, which is totally fine. I have been there. There were times in college where I wanted to go out and my friends didn't. So, you know, nothing too hard there. I think people really do kind of put a lot of hate on her roommate um, for reasons that we're about to get into. But for me, I just feel like, I don't know, things happen. And of course, if her roommate had known the situation was going to unfold that did, she would not have made the same choices. But going back to the story, um, Kristen again wanted to go out and her roommate agreed to go for a little while, but um, they got to the party and she realized she didn't want to be there anymore. So she left Kristen um, not fully alone. There were people that they knew at this party um, and so she was okay, but the party did take place at 135 Crandall Way, right near the campus of Cal Poly where Kristen was a freshman. Um, so again, now she is there, um, without her friend, but she's around people she knows and she starts drinking a lot, um, which really wasn't typical for her. Of course, she was in college. She was experimenting a little bit, but she wasn't known to be a huge partier. But again, she did start drinking pretty, pretty heavily. And by the end of the night, they did find her passed out on a neighbor's lawn. That is how drunk she was. So of course, she could not get home alone. Um, but there were two students that decided to walk her home um, because clearly she was unable to do so herself. Um, and the two students were walking her towards the dorm when they ran into another student who they all knew named Paul Flores. So now the three of them are guiding Kristen home until they get to a point that the two original friends have to turn to get to her to get to their dorm, excuse me. Um, so now Paul decides that he is going to walk Kristen back to her dorm on his own. Um, he said he was totally fine with that and the friends trusted him. So they left and turned away, waved at Kristen and she, um, you know, kept walking with Paul. So the next morning, May 27th, um, her roommate Jennifer wakes up and Kristen is still gone. Um, all of her belongings are in the dorm. Um, the things that, you know, if she was planning to leave, she would have brought with her, like her ID, her school ID, everything is just in the dorm. 
Um, so she becomes very, very worried and reports um, Kristen missing to Cal Poly police, like the campus police. Um, but unfortunately, a report was not started at that point. Uh, they didn't put a call in to the cops uh, because they said, you know what, it is spring break. She's only been gone for, you know, under 24 hours. She most likely is fine. She is probably, you know, somewhere else. Everything will be okay. Um, but unfortunately, that was not the case. A day goes by. At this point, her family is frantic, and they call the San Luis Obispo police and report Kristen missing. Um, so again, now campus is on it. They are trying to figure out everything, um, and they find out that Paul was the last person to see her, so they interview her, um, and he says that he had not seen her since that night. He said he dropped her off right at her dorm. She went up and assumed she was okay. Um, so at this point, Paul becomes the main suspect, of course. Four days after she was last seen, they go to his um, dorm and they inspect it uh, just to see if there are any traces of Kristen. But unfortunately, it was towards the end of the semester. And at this point, he um, completely cleaned out his dorm and had left. So by the time they get to the dorm, there really isn't much to be found. But it is said that some of the police uh, canine units and the dogs that they had were barking very very loudly at uh paul like where paul's bed was um so of course all of his stuff is gone none of his belongings are there but they are picking up on a trace of kristen smart on his bed so moving on they interview him again and they note this time that he had a very large black eye um, they, of course, question him on this, and he can't give them a straight answer, which is warning sign number one for me. Um, he first says that he just woke up with a black eye, which I don't really know why you would ever say that. That makes no sense. It makes you sound so suspicious. Um, he later says that he was actually working on a truck and hurt himself, and then his last um, kind of lie I guess is that he was playing basketball and somehow injured himself and got a black eye so at this point um he is looking more suspicious than ever but unfortunately there is still no real trace of Kristen uh they have about 400 volunteers going around campus just going around the general area and police begin searching a couple of properties they of course search Paul's um parents home in a town called Arroyo Grande uh they also search a property in Washington state where another family member was said to live um, but the Arroyo Grande property is the property that really, uh, how do I say this? <laughs> it's very strange, the things that are found there. So first of all, they find traces of Kristen Smart there. Um, they find very, very small amounts of blood. Nothing, you know, crazy it could have just been blood if someone, you know, cut themselves, but just small trace amounts of blood. But they also find an earring. And it was said that this earring is very, very similar to the earrings that Kristen was wearing the night she was missing, which of course is a huge break in the case if you find something that the missing person was wearing the night she, of course, was last seen. Um, in this house, it really does make him look even more suspicious. But unfortunately, this is where the bad police work comes in. 
We're really not sure how, but at this point, the earring was lost. There really is no way to even make any sense of that, but the earring was never found, or they found it, and then the police, unfortunately, did misplace it. And that was a huge key piece of evidence, Um, so unfortunately, that did not work. So uh, now it has been about a year. There are really no other signs of Kristen. The only suspect, again, is Paul Flores. And in February of 1997, there was a $50,000 reward on put out for any information leading to an arrest or a conviction in the case. Uh, they later ended up boosting um, the amount to $75,000, um, and it kept going up from there. There were signs placed everywhere around campus, um, and to this day, there is a huge sign in Arroyo Grande that you can't miss, and it has Kristen's face on it, so they are still pushing. But unfortunately, this case does kind of become a cold case. There is no information, nothing really happening. Um, and there was a lot of kind of, not the best word for it, but a lot of drama surrounding the police work. Um, it really seems like, first of all, they waited too long. There was no limitation on, you know, you have to wait 48 hours to declare someone missing. There was none of that. But of course, the police didn't really declare her missing for days. And then they lose a huge key piece of evidence. Um, there was a lot of other stuff found at the Flores property that really did point to Paul. Um, at the time, Kristen was said to wear a alarm, kind of like a watch alarm every day that would um sound at 4 a.m to wake her up she uh always woke up very very early to get some things done and it was said that for a little while they were hearing a beeping going on at around 4 a.m from paul flores's home so again very suspicious um but on may 25th of 2002 the next major um thing happens in this case and that is when Kristen is declared legally dead so it wasn't that they found a body nothing like that but it had been some time since she was last seen we're talking years at this point and they believe that she is unfortunately dead so moving on from there um the family keeps looking they in 2017 set up an organization um a nonprofit organization where people can donate. Uh, they start a charity in honor of Kristen, and they also start a website. They're really trying to get the name out there. Um, and now in September um, of 2019, a Santa Maria resident named Chris Lambert launches Your Own Backyard, which is a podcast I, of course, discussed in the beginning. Um, that is the one that really, I don't know how to even word how much it helped this case. He did such a deep dive. And again, I really recommend looking into that if you have not, or if you're interested in this case. Um, but he really brings so much attention to this case that was really kind of, again, not cold, but nothing had been happening. 
Um, so the story is kind of viral in the true crime community at this point. And in January of 2020, um, the sheriff's office announced that it had 18 search warrants um, and concluded that they had physical evidence at nine different locations, um, or they believe they had nine locations to search for more physical evidence. Um, at this point, they completely uh shut or not shut down but shut off um any access to the flora's family home and they begin searching it but they did not find anything which is kind of suspicious um people who have followed this case including me feel that Kristen smart is unfortunately buried in a planter area behind the house but it is very difficult for police to get clearing to go into a certain situation or a certain area if they don't have the proper warrants and it seems like they were not able to dig up the flower bed that everyone believes she is in um but moving on uh the next year paul flores is actually arrested um on suspicion of being a felon in possession of a firearm um he also got into a lot of legal trouble over the years, not really connected to Kristen Smart, but he got uh, three DUIs and now he is arrested for possession of a firearm. Um, So things aren't really looking great for him. And his family is very, very shady. If you uh, listen to other podcasts, they will go more into detail. But there's a lot surrounding his family. It seems like if he was the one to do something to Kristen, which it really does seem like he was, of course, he was the last person to see her, and he is very, very suspicious, uh, but if there was something that he did, his family was definitely involved. Um, the police later get another warrant to search his father's property. Um, they don't find anything there, but the main um, bit of kind of new... Uh, parts of this case can't think of words hello <laughs> please remember this is my first time doing this um but in march of 2021 the sheriff's office actually does receive another uh warrant to search royal grande property that his father uh, lived in the one we were just discussing um and this time they were able to get ground penetrating radar uh which basically you dig really deep into the ground to see if there is anything there um they can detect if there had ever been a body or any kind of weight in the ground so they search this very large property um with again that radar um as well as cadaver dogs um and they search for about two days but unfortunately we don't really know if anything was found i know they did take a car into evidence um that belonged to ruben flores after cadaver dog started barking and alerting that something was in the car or some remains were you know somewhere on the car um but that was the last we heard again that was march of 2021 and when i'm recording it is april 6th of 2021 so it hasn't been too long but i think everyone including myself uh we were all crossing our fingers just hoping that something would be found and this case could finally be put to rest and Kristen could finally get justice it has been over 25 years now and although the main suspect is known unfortunately as of right now there have been no major you know 
findings, nothing like that, that we know of, of course. They might have found something that they haven't released to the public yet, but again, as of right now, not much is known. So the reason I wanted to start out this podcast um, discussing this case, again, is because I'm so passionate about it, but out of any case that I have looked into that I have followed, I really feel like if a case can be solved, it will be this one. Um, wow, hello, why am I so emotional? I just really, really want justice for not only her, but for her family. They know that she is no longer here, but I can't imagine going to bed every single night for over 25 years and not knowing where your child is. And again, they live in the general area, so they know that she could be right around, you know, where they are, and they unfortunately can't do anything about it. So please, I really um, recommend looking into this case. But also, uh, I want to thank you guys for listening to my first episode. Things will improve as we go on. Um, I'm still learning and trying to figure all of this out. Um, But please, please, please subscribe. That would really be awesome. And if you have any cases that you would like me to look into, you could either comment that on, um, you know, the comments on whatever you are listening to, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anything. Um, Or you could email me at darkanddirepod at gmail.com. But either way, I would love to hear from you guys. Um, Please give me any sort of feedback. Uh, I would really appreciate it. But I will be back next week with a new case. Uh, So thank you guys again for listening to Dark and Dire. And I hope to see you next week.